coming to you from my H1N, and hopefully we'll go uh, go off without any hitches. Um, I'm a big, big fan of anything that Zoom slash Samsung, they're, they're kind of the same company, uh, that they come out with. Of course, I, I love their H6N. I've had that for, uh, for well, years now. Um, that was a very kind gift from a Sovereign Tech listener, which actually, if you want to, so I've updated recently, um, I've updated the Amazon wishlist page. I know Amazon, I know, but if you want to help out the show some more, I mean, this is a great way to do it. And there's lots of things or not lots. It's actually not a large list at all, but there are things there that can uh, definitely help take the present studio to the next level. So if you want to help out with that, please do. Um, and that's at, of course, Sovereign Tech, or sorry, wishlist.sovereigntech.com. That's how you can find it, wishlist.sovereigntech.com. Um, but I love this little microphone. The reason I haven't used it much, because I think the sound quality, ironically, I mean, it is a tiny thing if you look one of these babies up. Um, and they run, I don't know, I've had this for a little while. They run anywhere, you know, 100 to $130, somewhere around there. Um, when connected to a computer, so you can use the you can have it get powered off of the USB off of the, you know, the USB bus, right? Which that's kind of redundant to say since USB is a universal serial bus, right? But anyway, regardless, <laughs> so you can have it be bus powered or you can have it be powered off. I think it runs off of like one AAA battery, the whole thing, which is also impressive. And I mean, it'll just go for hours. I don't even know whenever I replaced this battery last or had to recharge it. But um, regardless, very, very handy device, you know, has the micro SD card slot and, and, and everything. Um, but I did run into, I used it once and I think it, I actually had it connected to a Chromebook, which we're going to, I'm going to talk about that for a minute about Chromebooks for a minute here in a second. Um, I had it connected to a Chromebook and for some reason, when it was recording on the Chromebook, it created like the skipping sound where it almost seemed like the bus kept losing power when I had it powered by bus. And I just never took the opportunity to try, okay, maybe it can work with the Chromebook if it's connected or, you know, if it's connected, but it's using the battery, the internal battery as its power source and not the laptop itself. Um, never mess with that. The other thing I've noticed, and actually the, the H6 would do this as well, so I don't know what the deal is there. Maybe that still has to do with that bus powering. Cause even the H6N is also powered by batteries. It's like four, three or four double uh, A's, but it's still powered by batteries. So maybe just running off a of battery power would solve all of this. I just haven't had the time to experiment with it enough. Um, but as far as sound quality goes, I mean, I think they're both top of their game. Of course, the H6N gets used by you know, I mean, it gets used by CNN. I mean, it gets used by the most professional, you know, media outlets in the world. Um, not to say that they're good media outlets, just saying that they're professional. <laughs> um, so, you know, really they, they spare no expense on that. Uh, but anyway, I'm using this uh, right now just out of some necessity. Uh, and well, well, we'll see how it goes. But, oh, I don't think I said what happens. What happens is, is that the, uh, I think the sample rate changes somehow. And I don't know if a power spike causes this or what, but the sample rate will change and suddenly I'll sound like Brian Soviet instead of Brian Sovereign. <laughs> you know, I have this really uh, deep Michael Dorn, Worf-esque voice going on. And, uh, well, anyway, <laughs> hopefully that won't happen um, this time around. But, you know, to talk about Chromebooks. So as you know, 
there is the Sovereign Tech Telegram, or it's called, I call it the Sovereign Tech Polytechnic. Uh, but, you know, we might change the name at some point, whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, but there is the Sovereign Tech Telegram group, uh, which is very active. Uh, very pleased to have anyone that joins in that there. Uh, of course, it is not just a perk for patrons. Um, it is, it's something that everybody who listens to Sovereign Tech and Zomia One can jump in on. You can talk about more or less whatever you want to talk about. Um, I was very pleased to see that there are listeners who use Chromebooks. Now, I know what you're saying. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Stallion hates Google. What the fuck is he saying? He's glad that people use Chromebooks. Now, we kind of did a revisiting of Chromebooks in 2019 uh, in an episode, boy, I want to say it was almost a year ago to the day. Um, which by the way, Zomia one is going to be celebrating a year running in very short order. And in fact, it's, it's been an experiment that I've been working on for about a year and well, anyway, I, I'm still, <laughs> we might go a little longer than a year uh, and keep going and, and, and let's see what happens. But regardless, uh, you know, I guess anniversary celebration, uh, is to, is to be had here. Um, anyway, with Chromebooks. So recently, of course, if you heard on uh, last week's Q and a, uh, I mentioned how I had to go on a trip to Chicago. Uh, actually, I mean, I really had to go to Indiana, but you land in Chicago to go to Indiana. Time zones change and it gets insane. But regardless, um, <laughs> uh, I brought, I had a Chromebook with me when I went on that trip. And in fact, there was a guy that I had a conversation with at the uh, the company that I was, uh, that I was helping out uh, there that I was working with. And he was kind of shocked that I was using a Chromebook. He's like, wait, what? You know, <laughs> um, and you've got to understand something about Chromebooks. And I'm sure this is the same reason that I have other listeners that use them. Look, they are one, they're really inexpensive. Okay. They're inexpensive. And by comparison, they're incredibly secure. Now they're not going, got to, got to get this hundred percent straight. They are not going to protect you from the NSA. Neither is your Windows machine. In fact, it's a good bet your average Linux machine is not going to protect you from the NSA. Your Mac is not going to protect you from protect you from the NSA. Okay? Have we got that clear? That doesn't mean we can't take steps, okay, to where uh, we can't use or there aren't operating systems and steps to degrees of anonymity that can help and, and software and technologies that can protect you from the NSA. But if you are on a business trip, I'm pretty much going to guarantee you that you're not going to be able to get away with using a Tails laptop when you go there and maybe you have to do some kind of presentation. Call it a hunch that you can't. Okay. Now I'm not insulting anybody by this. There is a way, there is a way that, you know, that I want us to be able to interact and that I want us to interact with each other. And if we can set up businesses or, you know, ways of creating, uh, <laughs> means of survivability, which in our present world consists of money, uh, <laughs> or, you know, or equates to money, um, that, you know, that use, all of the encrypted technologies and everything we recommend on Sovereign Tech and that we've been recommending for years, dynamite, awesome. Okay, but I also know that at the same time we're carrying around smartphones and if you have to carry around a smartphone, I assure you Chromebook isn't uh, isn't going to ruin your look if you're carrying around something that uses more or less stock Android or, or iOS. Okay, now 
I'm not making a great defense for Chromebooks. I don't want to live in a world with thin clients. I don't want to be, unless, you know, you rely more on your NAS, then maybe it's interesting, but you know, I'm not making a big defense here. I'm just saying that as far as you being secure for multiple reasons when traveling, okay, one is that a Chromebook really does security right. Okay. Privacy is another question but it does security right overall. You have the fact that it locks down, uh, you know, the USB ports. Uh, you have, I mean, it's encryption, uh, you know, that, that, that's basically ready to go at any given moment. Um, I mean, there's a lot of advantages. There's and and the fact that it's such an inexpensive computer. If it, if you do lose it, it's not a major financial loss for you. Right. And by the nature of it actually being a thin client, there's a good chance you didn't lose a whole lot of data either, you know, because it is such a cloud centric thing. So if you are going on business trips or even, I don't know, short romantic trips, right? Where you go and, you know, you and your best gal or, uh, or guy or Z or whatever you, uh, you know, you want to get away for a weekend and you go spend some time at a hotel. A Chromebook is a great thing to have. This is, this is what I'm saying to you. Having a computer that does so much security, right? Even down to the fact that like it can require a YubiKey to get in and everything. You're not worried about when you leave it in the hotel room that, uh, you know, some intrepid person is going to try and get into your machine and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it, it's just, it's awesome. Okay. It's great for that. Use it for that. Do not make it your main machine. Do not do anything personally important on it. But it is no worse, really. It is no worse than any Windows machine you own not even close. And in fact, I would argue in conventional use, conventional, very careful wording here, conventional use, it's actually better. Okay. Now there are limitations to what it can do. We were talking about earlier. I mean, how I was trying to record a podcast on it. I have to use the crossover app on my Chromebook to proper, even though you have, uh, not, it's not crouton, whatever they call the, the, the Linux, uh, I mean, a Chromebook or Chrome OS is effectively Linux, right? Um, but now it can run Linux apps. There's the name for that. I know it's not Crouton. Crouton is what lets you dual boot. And that, that certainly gets interesting or can be interesting if you needed to. And I've dealt with that in years past. Um, but regardless, some, not, not every Linux app works great on a Chromebook, right? I mean, LibreOffice 5 works great on it. Um, you know, Calibra or Calibre or whatever you want to call it, you know, the, the, the book conversion software that works great on it. There are certainly, you know, but there's things like Audacity is, is a Linux, uh, is Linux software as well. Um, but I can't get it to recognize the microphone and everything else right with, uh, you know, when, when running it as a Linux app. Now, when I install it as a windows app by using the crossover app for Chrome OS, then it works great and it accesses everything and it does the job. But I mean, and there are Android apps that maybe, you know, easy voice recorder or something that you could use if you really needed to, that would access the microphone properly. But I just, I love audacity so much. You know, I really, um, I want to use that. Okay. But you know, there's other, I mean, there's other Linux apps you can run. Like you can run the, uh, uh Debian install of signal. Okay. On there, which that's very handy. Um, I mean, there's plenty of Linux apps that I do run on it, but Regardless, um, yeah, I mean, there still are things that I can't do, little things that I want to do. I mean, like, for for example, I don't, there's no really great MP3 tagging software. I mean, there's, 
There's some stuff that you can actually run through crossover. Like I think it's actually called MP3 tag, but it's terribly, terribly basic compared to my usual MP3 tagging software, which is uh, tag and rename. Um, there's, there's, yeah. And, and like, what is it? Picard, is it music Picard or some or, or brains Picard, whatever the fuck that there's a great music app for Linux and it's called something like that. And it has the name Picard in it, ironically. Uh, but <laughs> anyway, or maybe it's music brains Picard. I think that might be the full name of it. Um, but that doesn't work that well on, on, on Chromebooks. Um, I, anyway, I say all of this. I, I oh yeah, like in the other thing that I can't upload my books uh, to like into Amazon's cloud that goes down to my Kindle Oasis. Um, I you know I know you can email them, but it's not as clean as the app that's available for uh, Windows and Mac OS. I say all of this to just tell you that look, if you are going on business trips and you're doing all these, you know, and some of these other things, and it's not personally as in where you need as much privacy as you can garner from whoever pick your alphabet soup. Okay. Uh, a Chromebook is a fine and dandy thing to take with you because again, as much as we say, fuck Google, I have, I, you know, I'm known for saying fuck Google because at the same, at the same time, I have to say, well, they are implementing a lot of security, uh, uh features, right. And they really are. I mean, and, and in, in fact, it's it's funny, too, because Chrome OS really, I mean, even outside of security is, I feel, such a stable platform. Granted, you know, does it do as much as Windows? No. And and I've defended Windows for it being a Swiss army knife of an operating system more, the, more so than any other operating system. It's remarkable the amount of hardware that Windows works on uh, out of the box, or more or less. But regardless... Um, it's such a stable platform. In fact, what this is the funny part that I wanted to get to. Chrome OS runs Android apps better than Android. <laughs> I'm serious. It's the weirdest fucking thing. Um, anytime. And look, I'm using an Android one phone, one that's updated security updates up to uh, January 1st, 2020. That's how up to date this phone is. Anytime that I... Like if, especially when connecting to a Chromecast or something like that, if an Android app is ever fluky on my phone, I just go to the, to, to Chromebook or, you know, to my Chromebook and the Android app just works flawlessly. Everything works flawlessly. There's never any connectivity issues. I mean, it, it's crazy just how good Chrome OS is at running Android apps. In fact, I mean, we've kind of been, of course, what was it? Was it Fuchsia? There's that real-time operating system that Google's been developing for a few years. We've been keeping track of, but a lot of people were expecting that at some point, and there seemed to be attempts at it, that at some point Chrome OS, in fact, I remember Mike Elgin, a um, bit of a journalistic hero of mine who has been on Sovereign Tech in the past. Um, I remember when Mike Elgin was basically theorizing, and this was some years ago, that Chrome OS was, was going to replace Android on smartphones and tablets. Uh, there's a part of me that wishes it would <laughs> in in that sense, because, well, I mean, not, not really, because, you know, there, there are advantages to having open source Android, blah, blah, blah. And, and yes, there is a little bit, I mean, with Google's Android, not AOSP, but Google's Android, and of course, we're not talking about lineage OS or anything. There are, you know, there's some percentage that is still closed source, right? It's not totally open. Same is true really for Chrome OS. Um, because there's always that 5% of Chrome's code that uh, Google's Chrome 
code. Chromium is open source, but there's always that 5% of Google's Chrome that is locked down, you know, that is still closed source. Um, but I mean, <laughs> just on a stability uh, aspect and, and and a security one, I mean, I, I could see real advantages to this, speaking from a more consu- conventional consumer mindset, right, or need. Not speaking from privacy, Brian Sovereign, you know, everything needs to be anonymous, go kick some ass, blah, 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 right? Not speaking from that angle, but from a consumer angle. Yeah, it, it, it's amazing how, again, how stable Chrome OS is. And it's, ama- again, also amazing how well it really does work with, uh, or, you know, it, it, the Android Android apps work on it. Now, not every Android app is available on it, but everyone that is works like a fucking dream. And, uh, yeah, it, it's, anyway, consider a Chromebook. If you are the kind that has to do a lot of business travel, okay, um, I mean, maybe you need, I don't know, Office or something, but I mean, you can even run like the Android Office apps, but not that those are as full-blown as full-on Microsoft Office, but then most people don't really need full-blown Microsoft Office regardless. Um, If you, you know, if you travel a lot, uh, I really recommend having this, you know, having a Chromebook that you can just pick up and walk away because it is security done right that would thwart pretty much, you know, your average... I don't know, your average bad actor, right? It's not going to do anything against nation states because they'll just get the information from Google when they want it. But just about any bad actor, yeah, I think it would take care of. Again, nothing's 100%, but just about. So, okay, we've got to get into, uh, we have a a great, we're going to get into some comments about the recent episode of Sovereign Tech that came out, episode 361, was it? Uh, That has to do with ink devices and then we've got, uh, well, actually, we've got some great comments that I want to get into. And I asked a question. I posited stuff into the uh, Sovereign Tech Telegram group and got some great responses that I want to get into here. So in last week's Q&A, we talked about um, the Christ conspiracy. The or, Well, I mean, there's plenty of Christ conspiracies, right? <laughs> um, in fact, even Christians, I dare say, would argue that Christ is a conspirator and a conspir- is a conspiracy. Of course, it's a benevolent one, right? And there are such things as benevolent conspiracies. But I mean, particularly the idea that the Caesars um, of ancient Rome effectively created Christianity to pacify the populace. If you, did, I'll leave the link in the show notes where you can watch the documentary about this. Okay. And also, um, I mean, again, I, I kind of broke it down and talked about it last week. Uh, in in our entire Q&A, or in a good chunk of the Q&A towards the end that we covered it. So I wanted to ask the question to Sovereign Tech listeners, and um, what I don't, again, as far as in the Telegram group, many of you are fairly pseudonymous anyway. I don't know if you are patrons. I don't know if you're just listeners to the show. I'm not sure. But you know, some of you responded. And so I would like to get into your responses and talk about it. And the basic question is, is one that actually I asked, uh, also on a Q and a, uh, a few weeks ago to, uh, Ellen sovereign. And did I get into that earlier about robot dreams? Maybe I'll mention it later. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> I suppose I could start doing like a book of the week or something as along with an album of the week, but let's continue. Yeah. I didn't get into that earlier and I wanted to, um, 
because Ellen and I are, are reading a book and, and, and it's, man, it's dynamite stuff. But let me, let me get into this. So the question I asked in the Telegram group, and this is a great reason to get in on the Telegram group, because you can get the questions, you can see it, and you can interact. Um, and I was really intrigued by, uh, by some of the responses here. Um, do you think Jesus walked the earth? And if so, who slash what was he? That's all I asked. Okay. And obviously that was in reference to last week's Q&A. But let's keep let let let's see what the uh, what the responses were. Here we go. And even though you know everybody knows who said it in the Telegram group, I won't necessarily mention your name here. Um, I'm not convinced Jesus walked the earth. The more I looked into it, the more convinced there. Uh, I guess the more convinced I am there never was such a man. Mainly because the Jesus story, uh, offspring of deity, died, stands above other humans for whatever reason, and the Holy Trinity thing seems to be a culturally agnostic dynamic. Ooh, yeah. Uh, and, and that's, you know, this is a great point to bring up. And this is basically like what I was saying last week about the concept of the resurrectrix, right? That this just keeps showing up in so many cultures. Like you said, it's culturally agnostic. Uh, so right on, let's keep reading. Meaning so, uh, same story, different characters across multiple cultures over time. Nothing terribly special about this version beyond how sticky it seems to be. Uh, the Christ conspiracy and other material like it helped convince me of this. Now that's an actual book. I kept calling it the Christ conspiracy myself, but I'm more referencing the idea that the Caesars created Christianity. So that was one response. Um, and I definitely recommend, uh, the Christ conspiracy as well. But anyway, it, I mean, it's interesting stuff to read, even though I told you last week that, yeah, I think there was a guy named Jesus. I think, or what I think is that there was a relative, a cousin perhaps to John the Baptist who carried on the work of John the Baptist and that John the Baptist was actually some kind of Messiah, perhaps the Messiah to the Essenes, uh, the Jewish group, the, or the Jewish sect of the Essenes that they were looking for him or that they were expecting. And John the Baptist was him, but then he got his head chopped off. Uh, but who, um, yeah. So as far as, you know, this is a great point to, to bring up, like how is Christianity so sticky if it's something that has really been around for a while. Well, you got a couple things to bring up here uh, as far as that stickiness goes, right? And it's a great point to bring up. Two things. One is that a lot of other religions based around the resurrectrix did not proselytize, right? Like Christianity is kind of unique in that, in the, in, in the, in the whole concept of fishers of men where, you know, you're going out there and you're spreading the good word. Okay. As to where that was not often the case. I mean, the way that nations would proselytize their religion previously, or the way that, that groups would do that often, they would be a nation and they would have their state religion. Uh, of course that's kind of redundant, <laughs> but <laughs> saying state religion, religion is state is a religion. Uh, anyway, um, and they would just go to war. Like that, that's how they proselytize you, right? <laughs> Not to say that Christianity didn't have its bout with that as well. Um, so there is the, the kind of peaceful proselytizing. Again, it wasn't always peaceful, but by design, it's more or less been that. There is the peaceful proselytizing of it. I think that that is a big part of it. Also, it did use kind of like we talked about, and I guess this would really be a third or that there's actually three, not just two reasons behind the stickiness, that use of typography where you read the text, 
uh, almost unilaterally, right? Like, or, or laterally, I shouldn't say unilaterally. You read it laterally as in Christ is similar to Moses is similar to this. And so you're constantly looking for your religious text to prove itself within itself. Okay. And that creates a, dare I say it, it creates I mean, you just, you can't stop talking about it because you're always like alluding within the book itself and looking for some kind of weird internal patterns and consistencies that are there, but again, they're there by design, you know, and, and I would argue just that the new Testament was copying Torah in that. Uh, and it was a very clear, and that's kind of what, um, you know, the whole idea of Caesar's Messiah was, was basically saying is that, you know, when Flavius Josephus their argument is, is that he more or less wrote the New Testament, or the Gospels anyway, like we talked about last week, and that he used, you know, tricks that Torah uses to kind of hook you in. And, and so there's that part of it as well, because not every text does that, where, I mean, there's texts that leave things to be mystical or mysterious in some way. There's plenty of texts that do that, including ones that are based around a resurrectrix, but not many of them reference each other internally and have such, uh, you know, seem to have a, a degree of historicity behind it where, yeah, the story of Jesus can go all the way back to Moses and before, right? If you read it that way. So there's that. The third part, of course, that I think made it sticky is that this is one of the first religions where within a massive geographic area, it became law. And of course, that being Rome and when uh, Constantine the Great ended up doing so. Uh, so that's, I think those are the big parts that made it sticky. And then when it became law, of course, then you have rebels to the law and that creates, you know, nothing like a good rebellion to foment some, uh, uh, some real passion around something. And I think that also carried Christianity on was actually the internal conflicts of interpretation within Christianity, which is not commonplace in a lot of religions. I mean, there's, there are, yes. I mean, Islam has different interpretations, you know, different groups, different denominations. Judaism has the same. I mean, there, there, there are religions that have it also notice how long those stick around as to where ones that more or less say, no, this is how it is. Um, you know, they don't stick around. <laughs> so it's the ones that have this, this almost, uh, internal conflict to it that, that, that keep things going. And I dare argue that ideological, of course, I would hope peaceful, but ideological conflict within ideological frameworks, I would say is a very good thing. That's how you get to the truth in anything. I'm not saying any of those religions are the truth, but it is how you do it when you are dealing within a, uh, an ideological framework, spiritual or otherwise. So anyway, that, that was a great point to bring up, but let's, uh, let's go on to the next comment here again about whether or not Jesus walked the earth. Uh, but basically, I mean, the, the you know, the, 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 uh, answer given for, from that, uh, great listener was that, no, nah, Jesus, no, <laughs> didn't walk the earth wasn't here so there's one there uh let's go with the next uh not my area of focus but likely someone did some of the things detailed in the bible likely not exactly how the events are described but something to get the stories started so there's basically a vote of yeah probably and i mean sure like there there are historical events that occur even within the new testament that 
Well, it was probably based around somebody or something. Like, I, I would argue that John the Baptist, again, was probably a, a real person. Um, and, you know, and that, that could have been an interesting thing, too, is like, okay, how do we prove that John the Baptist existed? Does anyone think John the Baptist existed? That would be an interesting conversation to have as well. Um, but then, you know, was he actually there? I mean, we know Herod was a real person. So you could easily get into the conversation where, okay, yeah, the first few chapters of any of the Gospels, especially that have to do with Herod, uh, those are, you know, whether or not John the Baptist was even a real person, say nothing of Jesus, Herod was, and, you know, that we know. And so, yeah, there is, there are, you know, some of these events probably happened and they were based on people that we do know existed. Again, that's not even getting into Paul yet, who we also are fairly certain did exist because, you know, he talked to Seneca and others. Um, but anyway, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's a very, I think that's a very reasonable position to be coming from that. Well, there's probably somebody that some of these stories are based on, not to say that thinking Jesus didn't exist at all is unreasonable in any way. I mean, if you look for a burden of proof, there isn't, you know, I mean, there's no proof to find, right? If you ask for one and, or if you ask for it and so, or there's very little at the very least. And basically you could look at Flavius Josephus because that's the only external writing about the guy, unless you want to say in Talmud that there are references to Jesus, but that is getting into a much different subject. Um, so we're not going to get into that, uh, you know, into that here. Um, let's see another one. So this one here, a little, little lengthier. Um, let's see. I don't know. I see no particular case for it one way or the other. So much of the Christian mythology was clearly made up or meant to serve as an allegory. And I have not seen any good evidence that the Christ story is any different. As far as historical evidence pointing to a real person, most that I've seen seems to be grasping at straws. Uh, there is also a complete lack of historical evidence to the contrary. That said, this is not an area of interest for me, so there could easily be something I'm missing that would give credence to the idea. In any case, that aspect of Christian mythology has very little impact on my perception of the religion. Um, yeah, I, I mean, and this is, <laughs> I see a running theme here, right, of indifference. You know, it's like, well, you know, even if he did, and I, I think this is kind of what's, what's sort of being said, even if he did exist, it, it doesn't mean anything to me today as to where, you know, with over a billion people at least on the planet and likely much more, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's supposedly everything to them. And, you know, I, I have to, I, I didn't get into this part so much. Um, the documentary, uh, of Caesar's Messiah, I thought I have to give it credit for, it was basically saying that, look, there are very wonderful things in the Christian religion and we're not knocking those. Okay. You know, that's fine. We get that. And we know very great Christians and blah, blah, blah. Um, but you know, you gotta be aware that this is, this thing is a tool being used and that maybe originally it was. Um, and they even get into where, you know, they're, they're interviewing various guys. there, like, uh, like, uh, is it, is it Tim Frake? I, I think that guy, that guy wrote three really blockbuster books back in the early aughts. Um, I think there's like the lost history of Jesus. Uh, there's Jesus and the lost goddess and they all kind of play on a theme, but anyway, you know, he brings up the point that look, you know, the, the stuff that's in Christianity was not, and this is sort of a point that's been brought up by other listeners here is not unique to Christianity. And it's not, you know, it's stickiness. 
like the other listener said, is what's unique, but there's nothing like really, you know, all of this stuff are things that had been said before. Now that's a point I've brought up many times on Sovereign Tech. Um, you know, and I would argue that this concept of the resurrectrix, there are internally, as in not something that is an external authority structure, as in the organized religion that is Christianity, there are things that you could implement internally that I suppose could be very helpful. Again, they're not unique to Christianity. They have nothing to do with a Jesus character. They have nothing to do with any of that. Um, I've said for decades, I've said that, you know, if really, I mean, and this is when I used to be a little more amenable to what's conventionally known as religion, where I would say, okay, so religion is about improving the human experience and connecting to the universe or God, if you want to say that it was created in that way. And so anything that does not further and improve the human experience, you know, the, the, uh, the, the human condition, throw it away like circumcision, throw it away. There's no point. So, you know, when I say that, I mean, there are aspects of, you could say of Christianity that are helpful. Again, they're probably not unique to it, or maybe Philo of Alexandria came up with them beforehand or whatever. Okay. And if they're helpful to you, they're helpful to you, but then kind of recognize that, right. Instead of trying to put it under an umbrella of some kind. Uh, that, that comes in the guise of organized religion, which ultimately can come in the guise of authoritarianism. And I know I have Christian listeners. I know there are Christians listening to me right now, but I hope you get what's being laid out here. You know, it's not necessarily saying that, oh, you know, this is all worthless and blah, 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 blah. No, just know the truth of it, recognize the truth of it and go forward, you know, with, with what works for you. And Christianity already even really works this way. You know, because, and this is one of my, actually one of my biggest problems with Christianity uh, in general, is that, you know, you have a lot of different denominations in Christianity, like we said, that's true in many religions, okay? But when you go and ask a Christian, and you, you know, you ask, say, say there's a really bothersome verse for you of some kind, you know, maybe it's like something out of Romans 13, where it talks about give what Caesar's to Caesar's boy. That's funny that that's in there. Almost like it was written by a Caesar anyway, no. <laughs> uh, or that, you know, God puts all the leaders in place. And so fucking deal with it, uh, which that creates problems with Hitler. Right. I actually got kicked out of, well, I got kicked out of, uh, uh school because I argued with the teacher about that very verse. And cause I thought it was patently offensive and deplorable and disgusting and ungodly, if I dare to suggest that God put Hitler in power, but that's at a straight read. That's what parts of Roman 13 would say. Now there is with Romans 13. I mean, there have been whole books written around this to try and do mental gymnastics to, you know, figure out, okay, well, wait, what does it really mean by God puts leaders in power and you should respect them? You know, like, well, that, that, that just doesn't sit right. That doesn't sit right with good old Americana. That doesn't sit right with anything. And you're right. It doesn't sit right. It shouldn't sit right with anybody. Uh, now, I mean, again, it's a, it's a very straightforward verse. There's nothing mystical there whatsoever, in my opinion. Um, like, I don't even see how you could peel that apart in any, you know, partish way where, you you know, you do break it down into three different meanings, you know, like a, a straight, you know, a physical one, a spiritual one and so on. Um, but people do crazy mental gymnastics 
you know, uh, around this. Now, the, the easy answer as to what the, f- what the fuck this verse means, right, uh, is that Christianity was a tool. Granted, this is something written by Paul, but Christianity is a, or well, no, give what is Caesar's to Caesar's out of the gospel, right? The idea that God puts leaders in place, that's from Paul. But the idea that Christianity is a religion that supports the Roman state uh, and is when was built by or created by the Roman state is a pretty good, yeah, it's a pretty good straightforward answer to to what that what that really means. But you'll get people that come up with these wild again mental gymnastics and 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 justifications for what it's saying or what it really means and blah blah blah. And you'll ask them, well, how do you know that, right? How did you come to that interpretation? How do you know that it's the right one? And the response is almost a hundred percent uniform in what you'll get from a Christian. And that is, well, I prayed before I read it to, and I prayed for God to, or the Holy Spirit or whatever, to give me the wisdom to understand what's being said. I prayed to God to let me know what it means. Now, despite the, dare I say, logical problem of why couldn't God just fucking make it point blank? You know, you'd think, you'd think the creator of the universe would be the greatest writer ever. But... (laughs) But, <laughs> um, okay, he made it a little, a little mysterious. Yeah, I, I know the verse about, oh, it's, you know, easy enough for babes, but difficult for blah, 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 whatever. Okay. Those are all so convenient. Um, regardless, so, but then, you know, you talk to, so that, that's, so one Christian will tell you, well, I prayed about it and, and I prayed that God would give me the answer. Okay. So they did that. Then you go to the Christian next to them. Well, what do you think it means? They give you a different answer, and you ask a different interpretation of this of the same exact verse that you were just talking to the last Christian about. And they'll say, and you ask them, and you say, "Well, wait, how did you come to that conclusion?" And again, the one hundred percent uniform answer is, "Well, I prayed to God to give me the wisdom to understand what this says, and He told me, you know, and 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 it came to me, or not that not that God talked to them necessarily, but God influenced them or inspired them in some way to come to that conclusion." But wait, it's a wildly different conclusion that you came to our interpretation of what that verse means. Which one of you is right? You can't both be right because they could both mean two different things. One of them could be that, like my teacher said uh, when I was in church school, that it was because, uh, yes, God did put Hitler in power. But then the other person is like, oh, no, God did not put Hitler in power. Uh, but, I mean, and it, go, like, it, it, it literally, you cannot say that it's both. You can't. There might be some verses where you could get away with that explanation, but there's many where no, there has to be, there has to be an answer and it, there can't be a bunch of different ones, but then they would argue. I mean, you have Christians who think that soul sleep is the thing because the Bible very straightforward says that, uh, you know, right. out actually, this is a part is right out of Torah that, uh, the dead know not anything, but then you have a whole other group of Christians who are basically saying, Oh no, 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 you know, your, your, your parents or your, your dead parents are watching you from on high. Wait, what? But it says the dead don't know anything and have nothing to do with what happens on the earth. Which, which is it? And again, you ask them and they say, well, or then maybe they'll tell you to pray about it and to figure it out. And then you're going to come up with a different answer. And what is God just like not willing to help others in certain ways? Like it doesn't make any, it doesn't make any fucking sense. I got lost going down this road, but the reason I say all of this is to put it to you that 
what's really happening is, is that you found some words that resonated with you, which can happen with any book and happens to all of us. We could be reading poetry. We could be, who knows what we could be reading and we're going to read something that resonates with us. You, it, it, you, you take on the meaning you want from it. Okay. And you go forward. So do that. Stop trying to make a fucking religion around everything and just grasp that you are an individual and are, is there a objective truth in the universe? Of course there is. Okay. But in, when it comes to much of human thought, there's a lot of subjectivity to go around. Even within people who think that there is an objective written word of God, they are subjective is the point that I'm bringing up to you and that you might as well take it, take what works for you and you go and you run with it. And if it makes you happy, okay. Or if it gets you through a hard time, or if it, you know, brings some kind of brilliance, uh, you, you know, to your experience on this earth, great. But then that's all it was. All right. As soon as you try to organize and codify and do all this other crap, especially in words, and I don't, I don't want to get lost on that because we have a problem. Language is in itself a major problem to our understanding of life and consciousness itself. But I don't want to get lost on that. Okay. Talking about that, but I'm just, just saying, just, just go with it and stop trying to make it something any more than it's something that means to you. Okay. That it means something to you. So, and if you want to say that Jesus taught it to you, Hey, dynamite, that's what Thomas Jefferson did with his Jefferson Bible. Right. Um, and, and have, have a good day. So, <laughs> oh boy, but yeah, yeah. Just don't make it something that comes from, you know, some written text that suddenly applies to everybody on the planet. I mean that there's nothing improving. There's nothing respectful about that at all. There's nothing uh, edifying about something like that. All right, let's go on. So, uh, here's the last one. I'm pretty sure there was a dude named Jesus. So was the council of Nicaea. That's about the end of my Christianity. So basically saying, yeah, there was a guy named Jesus and there was probably a council and there was a council of Nicaea, which yes, we're, we're pretty sure that, that there was a council of Nicaea, uh, which, Hey, you know, the council of Nicaea, which is what I, I was referencing earlier when they finally, this was in what the fourth, fourth century, uh, CE where they finally, you know, you had bishops and everybody, you know, all the people that meant something in Christianity proper that sat down and said, okay, here is our book. Here is our New Testament. We will allow for this, 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 the book of Enoch, the apocalypse of Paul, the gospel of Thomas, uh, the gospel of Judas, those won't be allowed, but the rest of this stuff, yep, we're good. And, and away you go. And suddenly you have a New Testament. Um, of course, they also had an Old Testament and they also had an apocrypha attached to that Old Testament, right? With the books of Maccabees, uh, and, and so on. But, uh, you know, eventually you'll get Christians that suddenly say, well, you know, actually those books shouldn't be there. No, no, they're a little too, a little too off. And you see, I mean, they were doing the same thing during the council of Nicaea. They're like, well, there's some of this that, okay, this helps us, but then the rest is not. So, and, and that's, that's the whole, f I'm not saying that they necessarily did anything wrong. You can, if you think they were suppressing truth, but if the idea is this is what serves my purposes. Now, where they were wrong is that they were saying this applies to all Christians, but in the idea that, okay, well, there's this that works for me and there's this that does not, that's fine. Have your own personal headcanon, right? <laughs> that's what we all do, even with our fictional franchises. And well, I would argue that much of uh, the new Testament is fictional franchise, not all, but much, uh, anyway, so there, there you go. Uh, great responses. I really appreciate that. Um, I love, I mean, really, I love you using the telegram group. 
to ask questions and to have conversations and conversations that I think are absolutely brilliant that are worthwhile to, to really highlight here. Um, I know a lot of people were recommending proton mail to each other while there. I mean, this is the kind of thing that I want this group to exist for. So again, link is in the show notes. If you haven't joined it yet, come on in. It's, it's a great, great time. Uh, even make music recommendations from time to time in there. So, all right, let's, uh, let's get on to, I've got another question here that I, that I want to get to, uh, actually this one came in via email. This was not from the telegram group. Of course, the email address is bbs at sovereigntech.com. Uh, here we go. Hey, Brian, I really enjoyed listening to your most recent show, episode 361. Uh, in it, you mentioned some stuff about e-ink devices. I love them so much because I am a fellow lover of the printed word. And e-ink panels are not black mirror kaleidoscope flashlights shining directly into my eyes, doing who knows what to my brain. Woo! Man, I have brilliant listeners. <laughs> call it baby you you know what you're talking about and i totally agree that's the same way i feel about ink uh, uh devices but reading on ink displays of all sizes are pretty much the only new hardware technologies for which or technology for which i have any desire to see more stallion breaking in i totally agree with you i'm, I'm right on board with you there um, I can't remember if you've mentioned it, but I want to, I think he means to say, I want to show some love, uh, or love, I want, or I want to love the e-ink based light phone two. Now I'll put a link for this in the show notes. Um, it's the lightphone.com. Uh, while I love how small, uh, it is, uh, one, or let's see, there's, there's little, he made little, little, little notes here. Uh, I've not, I've not used one yet would consider it or something like in a couple of years when I can no longer get security updates for my current phone. Uh, but going on, I think I'll wait for something with better battery life, a louder speaker, support for signal and faster keyboard response for signal and text messages. Yeah. So the light phone is basically this very basic phone, but that runs on an e-ink display and it's a touchscreen. Uh, and the, the problem with e-ink right now is that typing in on an e-ink device, if you have a Kindle, you know what this is like, or if you have an e-reader, I mean, I know what it's like too. Um, it doesn't really work very well. Now you can get some e, uh, e-ink devices that are basically tablets that are like running Android 6.0. There's a company like books and Mars, I think, and there's other ones that where you can connect a Bluetooth keyboard to it. But even then it can take a little while for the text that you type in. It'll all get there, but it could take a little while for it to show up. Um, and that's, that's a little bit of a problem. Uh, you know, I mean, just a quick update on e-ink devices. Uh, I pre-ordered or I kickstarted, helped kickstart a, uh, the, the free write traveler, man, we are like two years out on this thing. And now they're talking about, oh, the coronavirus or whatever is, is now affecting our, and I know that that's kind of happening and that's a crazy situation over in China. Um, but it's affecting our ability to get workers in China back to work, blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, your, your free ride traveler is now delayed by another few months. We were supposed to get this thing like last June did not happen. Um, and then they said fall 2019 didn't happen. And now there's just like no determinate date. It's really insane. But the free write traveler is basically meant to be a laptop, really just a word processor. It's not something that has a ton of apps or anything like that or software. Um, but the free write traveler is supposed to be an ink, basically like laptop slash word processor that you can type away on and has an ink screen. Uh, I mean, I, I'm dying to get this thing. I want that so bad. Uh, in fact, I think I might have to go with a, what is it? The Neo two in the meantime, because you know, it, it's tough even for me to really concentrate on writing, you know, and, I, and I'm writing so many books, uh, to concentrate on writing 
and, and have the internet there. Even when I do it on a dumbed down device, like we were talking about earlier, like a Chromebook, I mean, that's just getting worse. Now you can do a lot of things on a Chromebook. And so it's not so single purpose anymore. And so, yeah, I, I'm just going to say I second you that we need a lot more ink devices. Let me read on a little bit more. Um, I've always wondered why we haven't seen more widespread and, uh, oh, well, all right, real quick. That's what I was going to say, like typing out on signal. You can't really practically do that and, and respond to people quickly. Um, so that is an issue. And also color ink, which has been around. Um, I'd like to see that get implemented more as well. Uh, even though there's, I don't think there's any device in the market that's using it yet, though. I'm sure Amazon will be the first and this uh, emailer's next point is going to point out why I think um, I've always wondered why we haven't seen more widespread and ubiquitous innovations using ink. Turns out the e-ink uh, corp e-ink.com apparently owns all the patents to everything in the world related to electronic ink from original R and D work in the late nineties. So now there's a sub note there. Um, I have not deeply researched these statements myself. They're just what I've gleaned and remember with my faulty memory uh, from my casual following of the anti flashlight industry. <laughs> Okay. Um, they also apparently own patents on the manufacturing process and improvements to said processes that will allow them, uh, to hoard the tech and limit innovation probably for another couple decades, at least if they indeed are using government guns to attack anyone who'd like to bring awesome tech into the world, fuck them, obviously. And, uh, yeah, great email. Um, as far as that being a thing that's going on, I've heard similar. I have not done a deep dive on, who's allowed to use ink and who's not. And really, of course, maybe this, this points at it because out of China, you are getting other smartphones that are finally using ink displays. And there are phones that are testing it out as like a second screen on the back of a phone and things like this in China. Of course, they don't follow a lot of these rules and they'll just, you know, they don't give a shit about patent law and good. Um, and they will implement this stuff, you know, in everything that they do. It would be intriguing to look deeper into the ink market in China and see what exists out there. But that's where you're actually getting a lot of these tablets that are making practical use case of, you know, Android tablets that are using ink screens instead of your traditional, uh, you know, LCD uh, or OLED. And so, you know, there might be some answers there going on because again, they don't care about patents, but in America, yeah, I mean, I can only imagine Amazon's paying a pretty penny to, to do that. And Amazon and Barnes and Noble would have been doing the same over a decade ago or about a decade ago, but this could point at partly why Amazon and uh, Barnes and Noble were trying to push people towards more traditional tablets that had your full on OLED screen or LCD screen and get them away from having to pay what might be a very high cost due to the patent of the development of, you know, e-ink screens. Um, so that's, and I also kind of wonder if that leads to why there is such a slow rollout to improvements. Uh, you know, I mean, like there, there's, you know, there's new smartphones or Samsung is refreshing, uh, you know, their Galaxy line once, twice a year. I mean, it's really insane. But with ink devices, and, and I'm not complaining about this, but I do wonder about the reason why with ink devices, uh, you know, we get a new Kindle depending upon the line every two, three years. I mean, it really, it, it seems it's a very slow moving market. And I wonder if part of that is, is due to, you know, maybe some kind of uh, uh, patent fees or licensing fees of some kind for the technology uh, that goes to ink corp. I wonder. Um, but yeah, it, it's such a great technology. I mean, it really, really is. Um, it is a shame that it's not, 
I mean, we could get conspiratorial about it and say, well, the reason that everything is using ink is because, uh, you know, the, the OLED screens and, and the color, uh, you know, the kaleidoscope fiasco black mirror, like the emailer kind of brought up, uh, is meant to distract and narrow, dare I say, almost hypnotize us as to where the ink screen screen does not. Um, I've wondered about that because amazingly Amazon sells Kindle devices, your higher end ones at, I mean, it's such a crazy markup. There's, but they sell them well and they refresh them like the Voyager or the Oasis. And it really feels like there is an affluent marketplace that justifies creating those very, very high end expensive devices that you wouldn't think sold much. But I mean, the, the premium gets paid for those things, you know, in the order of three to four hundred dollars. So I, yeah, you know, you, you got to wonder, like, does Bezos, I think Bezos probably loves e-ink screens. And we know already that himself and other, you know, uh, uh, CEOs in the tech industry, uh, like they don't let their kids use the very devices that they schlep off to the rest of society, including your own children. Um, you know, because, well, I mean, we, we can speculate as to why they do that, probably because they know that these things are ultimately harmful to our brains. Uh but the e-ink device is not. And so there is that premium market of people that know, and they want that high quality device that uh, they can jump on, you know, and, and carry with them. Um, so, you, you know, you got to wonder if like holding a Kindle Oasis, you're, you're holding a, a device that the, uh, the elite really loves, you know what I mean? And, and knows isn't necessarily harmful to them. I, I'm being conspiratorial here. That's speculation. So much speculation on my part, but just putting it out there. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan. I mean, I'm, I'm such a huge fan of, of ink devices. I wish everything was fucking ink. Even the laptop I'm, I'm looking at right now and recording on. Um, I, I mean that, that would be what a wonderful world, uh, really that would be. Um, and I mean, there, there's just, there's so many, even if you love paper books, again, there's no reason we can't really have both. You know, there's so many advantages. It's just like, there's plenty of people that love CDs still, but they still carry around, you know, they, they still stream music or they still have their, their MP3 collection with them at all times, or they have an iPod or whatever. And that's great with the digital world. There's no reason that you have to only do one or the other. You can literally have both and there should not be, uh, an increased cost to have both. And it just, there, there, there really shouldn't. So yeah, I, I, I love it. Um, you know, me, me supporting eBooks takes nothing away from you that loves paper books and vice versa just, you know, nature, nature of the beast today. I mean, there's, there's no, in, in a good way. Uh, and, and I, I love it. So anyway, uh, glad to hear other people really enjoy ink devices. I mean, I'm obsessive about my, you know, one day, maybe if Kobo really comes out with a beautiful, very high end, um, you know, very well crafted e-reader, uh, I might jump on that. But you got to understand this Kindle Oasis, this thing's practically indestructible. I mean, you can toss it against the wall. It's solid as a fucking rock. It's waterproof. I mean, th again, the thing's practically indestructible. It's amazing. I and I love my technology to be that rough and tumble. I really, really do. And, and again, having the, the audiobook aspect to it is, is so slick. Um, more companies getting in line with that as soon as they get there, that'd be interesting. But again, I think that I think Amazon's the only one that can really get away with this because they're the only one that has that very niche market that makes it worthwhile to make such high end shit, such high quality shit. And again, I can get conspiratorial, conspiratorial around that, 
but that's that's the only conclusion I can, I can come to. So, uh, yeah, yeah, e-ink for the win, baby. Even though fuck the patent stuff and fuck them, but the technology itself, it just pure, pure dynamite and a direction that in my dream world, if we have technology, I would love to see it go. Um, anyway, let's get into, let's get our album of the week done, and then I guess we'll wrap up the hour here. Uh, the album of the week, oh, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Yeah, let's do this one. Um, so I am a huge fan. Actually, no, you know what, before I get into the album of the week, but I'll, I'll mention her again. Uh, so recently, uh, Ellen Sovereign and I, whew, uh, Ellen and I, we went and saw, um, we went and saw Richard Marks and Rick Springfield perform. It was a double bill. They called it the Two Dicks Show. <laughs> it was great. Uh, and Richard Marks was awesome. I am such a big fan of Richard Marks. Uh, I mean, one of the most uh, awarded musicians in history straight up and people just don't think about it i guess i don't know uh but i love the guy and his last album that he came out with which i guess is back in 2013 2014 um beautiful goodbye was it i love that album i i think that that i mean that is so sexy ellen loves it too i mean it's just one of our favorite albums um he just came out with a new album in the past week in january 20 or yeah end of i guess beginning of february 2020 um called limitless so and i've listened to it it's it's good richard marks really can't make a bad song i just don't think that capability is in him right uh in fact he's very famously said in the past that any song he writes he writes it expecting it to be a hit expecting it to get radio play or whatever now, a lot of, you got to understand, a lot of musicians do not think that way. They think, okay, I got to come up with some filler tracks to get it up to 14 or 15 tracks and justify, you know, the $20 price tag on a CD. That's how people used to think. And to some degree, I think still do, even though EPs that are only four or five tracks are becoming a popular thing again, because people are realizing, well, we're not making money off the music sales anyway. So let's just get some new music out there and we'll only hit them with the four or five really good songs and not bother with any filler. Great. I mean, that's, that's an interesting evolution and dare I say, not a bad one. Um, Limitless comes in, depending what version you get, gets, comes in at about 10 or 10 to 12 tracks. Uh, and they are all very good songs. I don't think that there's nothing here. It's not, it's good. It's very good. And there's songs that are very, very catchy. The, uh, the first track on it, very catchy, but it doesn't, it's not sexy and it doesn't really feel as soulful as beautiful goodbye. So by comparison, it's not as good, but this is for all intents and purposes. In fact, I think it's like the number two pop album right now, which I mean, Richard Marx is what almost 60. That's pretty fucking impressive. I must say if the only person beating you is Taylor Swift you know, on the billboard, right? Uh, this album's great. I mean, I mean it, 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 I'll, I'll call it great, but by comparison to every, it's probably his, in my opinion, I think it's his weakest album. I don't know why that is. I don't know what exactly happened, but that's like, it's like comparing Star Wars movies in general. We're like, okay, yeah, it's not as good as this Star Wars movie, but then, well, it's still a Star Wars movie, right? So, you know, it's still better than old XYZ. So, same is true for Richard Marks. Okay, this might not be his greatest, this this might be his quote-unquote worst album ever, but it's still a Richard Marks album, which means that it's better than 99% of music out there, right? 
So that's how I feel about it. Maybe I got to listen to it a little bit more and it'll catch on. I mean, there's some very catchy hooks in it that I find myself humming and singing, you know, quite a bit. Uh, you don't want to hear me sing, but, <laughs> but it's just, it's not at that level of beautiful goodbye. And I, I mean, the one thing I'll say, I think when, when beautiful goodbye came out, he was start, I feel like he was starting his relationship with uh, Daisy Fuentes, who they've been married for years now. Um, and I think he was just, he was really getting all kinds of juices flowing in him, if you know what I mean. I don't just mean creative ones. Woo! Uh, <laughs> I think he had a lot going on. And I think that just came out in full display, um, you know, with, with his album, Beautiful Goodbye. So, I, Limitless is disappointing, but it's not really disappointing, right? Because it's still Richard Marks. It's just not as good as Beautiful Goodbye, which I really wanted like a sequel to that, but then it's been six years, six, seven years. Right. So what do you expect? Um, but yeah, check it out. If you're a Richard Marks fan in any way, if there's any song of his that you like at all, you're going to find something on here to love. You really are. Uh, so do check out Richard Marks limitless. And, uh, I think that will do it for this weekly Q and a, uh, got a couple sovereign texts coming out to you over the next few days, play a little game of ketchup and uh, all kinds of great stuff to come out. TIE Fighter Renegades, we've got lots of things to talk about. I will see all of you, woo, on the other side.